0: Here we are going to be in Revelation uh, chapter uh, 6 this morning, so you can turn there. Um, The last few weeks we've been given a vision, we've been able to see a vision of the throne room of our great God. In chapter 4 we saw the incredible worship that was taking place there. Last week in chapter 5 a problem arose, there was a scroll. This scroll, as as we were told, uh, that that inside of it is the prophecy of of judgment, uh, God's plan for judgment in this world. But there was a problem. There was no one who could open the scrolls until it was made known that there was one, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain. This morning, we're going to see some of those seals opened, and we're going to see what is contained in them as we look as the one who is worthy opens the first six of the seven seals. Let me read it. Now, Revelation chapter 6, now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering to conquer, and he opened the second seal. I heard the second living creature say, come. And do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine, with pestilence, and with a wild beast by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. For the witness they had borne, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. Till the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. The moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree shed its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and even the mountains and the islands were removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves, and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of wrath has come. Who can stand? Let's pray. Father, we need your help as we look to your word today. Would you help us? to see our Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you help us to cling to him today as we hear words that are difficult to hear? Help us to trust in the one who rules, the one who reigns, the one who is seated on the throne. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was looking um, just this week um, at a few headlines, not necessarily in the most popular of news media, but I'll just give you a few headlines just things occurring within the last couple of weeks across the world. In Nigeria, Islamic extremists kill 15 Christians. In Pakistan, a Christian bicycle mechanic was sentenced to death for blasphemy, for saying he only followed Jesus. In Nigeria, the terrorists killed more than 70 Christians. Christians in Uganda, um, was att- were, evangelists were attacked for preaching the gospel. Another pastor, after being beaten, was sent home to die after a severe beating. These are just a few stories just from the past couple of weeks. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. What do we do with this? Aren't we supposed to come to Christ and everything's better? How do we process this? The answer to these questions, I think, is very much at the heart of the book of Revelation, very much of the pastoral heart of this book that we've been looking to. The world that I just read about, this world of today, it's not very different than John's world whenever he penned the book of Revelation. Remember what he said back in chapter 1? How did he describe himself? He said he, he called himself your brother and partner in tribulation. That is the context into which John was writing a world in tribulation and suffering, and it's our context so we find ourselves today as well and Jesus here i think is giving the answer as he gives this vision to John of these seals being opened we're going to look at the first 6 of the seven seals today first let's think about those first four seals and they're they're very connected aren't they because they all have horses different colors and they all have riders who are being sent out there they're they're meant to go together as a unit i think So first, we have this white horse in verse 2 with its rider who has a bow and a crown and is sent out conquering to conquer in verse 2. Now, we want to know who is this rider, right? And, And many have said, oh, this rider, it must be Jesus going out to conquer, conquer the earth and spread the gospel. But it seems as though that's unlikely for a couple of reasons. First of all, these horses that we see in Revelation, they're very, very similar, to very similar horses that we see in the book of Zechariah. Four horses there too, and there too, all four of these horses, they, they, they all four bring judgment, not just a couple of them. And then also, as we, we continue on in, in, in Revelation, we're going to see that these seven seals are actually parallel judgments to the seven trumpets that we're going to see in a few weeks, and then to the seven bowls, how these are actually parallel judgments um, that are taking place, and the first four in each case the first four seals, the first four trumpets, the first four bowls, they, they, they all are units together. And in each of those other two cases, they're all about judgment. So we shouldn't expect that this one is different. So what's up with this rider? I don't believe, it doesn't seem as though this rider is Jesus. But is instead, the evil ones attempt to disguise himself, attempt to impersonate Jesus so that he can deceive believers. And so he's sent out to conquer So we have this first one being sent out to conquer. The second one, this red horse in verse 4, what is it sent out to do? But to take peace from the earth, bloodshed, war, we see the second horse sent out. And then the third horse in verses 5 and 6. It may seem a little confusing at first, but the intent here is that he's bringing famine into the world. As the speaker speaks, what what, what the speaker is speaking about in the midst of the in the midst of living creatures is that all of these things, the barley, the wheat, have become incredibly expensive. You can still get them, but they've come so incredibly expensive. And so we see this third horse sending famine. And then in the fourth horse, in verse 8, we see the rider is death and Hades. He's bringing death to the world, right? Through the sword, famine, pestilence, and wild beasts. What do we do with these Four horses, it's really strange, and you've probably heard at some point or another the four horses of the apocalypse, right? We've just met them. Here they are. What do we make of them? How do we know when they've come? Have they already come? Are they still to come in the future? Not too long ago, um, one of my old friends from back in, I think actually middle school days, uh, posted something about these four seals. And he said, I I, I think I've come, I, I understand them now. And I think that they, these four seals, they're coming soon. And he started talking about a couple of them. He talks about the second seal. He says, J- just look at the world right now with Russia and war and bloodshed just, just on the curb. This, this could be it. This could be the second seal that's about to be open. The third seal. Just look at the hyperinflation going on today as things have become so expensive, as, as the wheat was becoming so expensive, and the barley was becoming so expensive with the fourth seal. He laid out some of them, and then, you know, my personal opinion is that this pestilence of this fourth horse will be a mutated version of this current disease that our world is struggling with. So he looked at our world today, and he sees, I think I see all of these seals being opened. Is my friend right? My answer would be maybe sort of, but probably not for the reasons he thinks. Um, One commentator that we rely on, pretty heavily on as we're working through this series, uh, J.K. Beale, he says this. He says it's likely that these four judgments, these four seals, do refer to contemporary events, although it's difficult to know which ones John has in mind. But the meaning of these cannot be exhausted by an appeal to any precise historical event, but instead events throughout the age, their meaning, Is not linked exclusively to these particular events. Uh, For Revelation finds fulfillments in countless events across the ages. Here's the point. Maybe this will make sense. I mean, just think about these seal, these riders, and what they're going out with. We can summarize them: conquest, right? Bloodshed, famine, death. When have we seen those things in history? Throughout history, right? This isn't a new thing. You know, I was a history major in college, and, and what was most of my time spent studying whenever everything has been very peaceful in history and so much of time as you, you, you think through history, you try to explain history to your kids or whatever, it's, it's, it's centered around these huge points of reference, and what are they usually? They're usually war. They're usually times that show the ugliness of this sinful and fallen world. And so I think that's what these four seals, they're they're showing this series of things that just seem to happen over and over and over again. They're all this kind of one thing of conquest, bloodshed, famine, death that's been occurring since Jesus' first coming. And it will continue until his second coming. So we must ask a question as we think through this. Where is Jesus in all of this? Okay, the suffering that's going on of these, that we read in the, about in these first four seals. Where is Jesus in the midst of all of this? Where is God? The previous chapters have been made it very clear that God is sovereign, that he is on the throne, that he rules everything. As we read about these judgments that happen in chapter 6, is God sovereign here too? Or does he just allow it to transpire from a distance? Now, I don't know if you noticed as we were we're reading, I just want to point out a couple of things that might help us here. Did you see what each of the living creatures did? Verse 1, I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, come. And then in verse 3, I heard the second living creature say, come. I heard the fourth living creature say, come. I think I skipped one there, but you get the point. Let's not forget who these living creatures are we said a few weeks ago. These are heavenly beings who represent all animate life in this world. And what are they doing night and day? They're praising their great God. And here they're seen as faithful servants of Christ, helping him to execute his plans as as they call each of the horses to come out. They're executing his plan, which includes these judgments of these seven seals. Did you notice the bright red horse in verse 4? Its rider was permitted to take peace. What? Permitted. Who could give permission to do such a thing? But God and God alone, the lamb himself must have given permission for them to go out. And you heard that voice in verse 6. Who is that voice? Do you notice where the voice is? but amidst the, the living creatures. And who is amid, what's amidst the living creatures? But the throne of God. Likely no other voice than Jesus himself, making it clear who has given permission for these seals to be unwrapped, for these riders to go out. You see, what I think we need to begin to understand is that when we read Revelation, we're reading and we're understanding that nothing happens outside of God's great plan. And we see here, as hard as it may be for us to process at times, that God's great plan doesn't just include a great plan of redemption. It also includes a great, a terrible, if you will, plan of judgment. And we're told as we see these four seals, we're seeing that this judgment is even working its out in the world today. That's what these these first four seals are. Even while eternal judgment waits, there is a judgment now, and it goes on for a purpose. What is that purpose? Well, it depends on who you are as to what that purpose is. For the believer, what is the purpose? For the believer, what we're actually learning is that it's actually for our good. As we read in, in James, James puts it this way. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let your steadfastness have its full effect, and you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, for believers, this current tribulation, this current suffering, the the, the current persecution, it's meant to perfect us. It's meant to grow us. It's meant to mature us. As hard as it may be, as painful as it may be, it is for our good, as Paul says in Philippians, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It's been granted to you. Now, while for the believer, this present suffering and tribulation is for our good, for the other unbelieving world, it's judgment. Judgment for sin Judgment for causing his little ones to suffer. So there's a dual purpose, if you will, here. And think about the way that it plays out. No doubt as these horses are being sent off, the evil one thinks that he has a great opportunity. Thinks that he's going out and is going to be able to encourage believers to fall away thinks that he's able to go out and and help unbelievers to just grow in their cursing of God as they look and see more and more the brokenness of this world. Yet, but even as these horses go out to do their evil deeds, what they don't understand is that God is actually using those efforts that the evil one thinks are for good, for his good, God himself is using them to punish unbelievers and for the good of believers. You see, for Christ, it's an opportunity to claim those who are his own, to purify them, to grow them and help mature those that are his. As we process through this, as we live in the midst of this, in the midst of the war, the bloodshed, the famine, the pestilence and the wild beasts, what, What do you do with your suffering? How do you handle it? Do you respond with, why, Lord? I thought everything was going to be better when I came to Jesus. But it doesn't look like it has. Is that how you respond? I know we're so tempted to. But Jesus here is reminding us, as we experience these current tribulations, that he is on the throne. That he is in control that he has a wonderful plan and he is working it out. He is working on his purposes even when we can't understand it. And he's calling you and I to trust him. Trust him when you get that diagnosis from the doctor. Trust him when your children run away from you or run away from the Lord. Trust him when you find your relationships falling apart. Trust him when you find yourself in the midst of persecution for your faith. Trust him even when you learn of the persecution and even death of your brothers and sisters in Christ in the far reaches of the world, as we heard earlier. The call to us all this morning is to trust the one who is on the throne. The first four seals give us a picture of what's going on on earth amidst the suffering with the fifth seal. We, we turn, if you will, back to the throne room. When I opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. Here we see believers who've given their life for Christ. Now, let's remember the book of Revelation is highly symbolic. It's likely that these souls aren't just those who have literally been martyred, but are in fact all believers who have suffered for their faith. All believers who have gone through these first four seals, if you will. Which should in fact be all believers, right? Remember Jesus' words, Matthew 10, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so the picture we have here is of the saints now in heaven, covered by the altar, protected by the sacrifice of Jesus. These are the saints who persevered, those who Jesus, as he spoke to the churches and he talked about the the conquering that, that we need to do, they've conquered, they remain faithful amidst the various tribulations. And they now find themselves fully protected under that blood-stained altar of the Lamb, the altar of the one who was slain. They no longer need to fear the approach of the evil one being sent out to deceive. You see, the saints here, in this full protection of the throne room of God, They look and they see, they hear of these seals. They they see history continuing to take place, knowing the persecution of the faithful just as they were persecuted and they cry out. Verse 10, O sovereign Lord, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth, seeing the suffering of their brothers and sisters in Christ continue. They cry out and they say, when will it end? Is that not a cry for revenge? It's a cry for justice. It's a cry for true justice to come. We struggle a lot with justice in our world, don't we? We struggle with, can there be true justice? It seems like everybody longs for true, true justice, Right? But that true justice can't come without judgment. You see, I think there's a tendency in our world, and I think it's with us too, where either or both, actually I think we tend to do both, which is ironic in and of itself, but we tend to get mad at God first because he's not relieving all the suffering in this world. And he's not executing his justice in a way. And then as we hear words like we do this morning, we get mad at him For bringing justice into the world and bringing judgment, you can't have one without the other. Justice and judgment go together. We are fickle people, aren't we? And it's because let's understand why it is. It's because we can't understand. We can't see His plan. I mean, just imagine. Here are are the souls of the martyr, and where are they? They're in the throne room itself, right? They find themselves in the throne room. And even in the throne room, they can't comprehend God's plan. They don't understand why. Why hasn't justice come yet? Even in the throne room, they don't get it. Maybe that should be a word for us. If the saints in heaven right now don't fully comprehend God's working, uh, maybe we should be careful as we try to think we can figure it all out or be upset that we can't. Now, God gives a response to his people. Verse 11, they were each given white robe and told to rest a little longer. He gives them robes, acknowledging that they have truly been justified by the work of Jesus, that that through the work of Jesus' work alone and through his work alone, they have been made clean. They are now righteous. And don't miss the promise that this is to us too. It's not just a promise to them. We too, look we'll at those symbolic robes to testify to the work of Jesus in our lives. He reminds them, you're safe with me. You're, you're, you're safe under the altar. Rest a little longer. Have patience, he says. And it's here that he reveals something to them we assume previously unknown. As we continue in verse 11, He says to them to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. You see, just as God encourages the saints to be patient, see how incredibly patient he is. Much as he said in the book of Ezekiel, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live, and in Second Peter, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, God is working out his purposes, and as hard as it is, that purpose includes the suffering and even the martyring of the saints as a means of accomplishing that end. We heard the famous quote that Peter mentioned last week that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. God is able to use even suffering and even martyrdom to actually grow his kingdom and to multiply it. He uses it not just to sanctify us as we talked about earlier, He also, we're told here, uses our suffering for what? That his kingdom might spread even more. That more might come to know him. That's not the end of God's promises here in Revelation 6. It's not just a promise of wait a little longer. But we see that he does answer that cry, how long, O Lord? it will be answered completely and finally on the last day. Verse 12, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. The opening of the sixth seal is a final answer to the saints. God promises he will perfectly execute justice on the last day. The tribulations of these last days here in the sixth seal have come. The number of their fellow brothers and sisters have now been made complete. John Piper puts something incredible way. I want to just read this to you. I think this is helpful as we think about this. The greatest peril, he says, facing every person in every ethnic group, in every place on earth at every time in history is the righteous wrath of God against guilty sinners, leading to everlasting suffering unless God himself rescues us from his own judgment. He says poverty Hunger, diseases, war, crime, climate change, addictions, homelessness, ignorance, tra- sex trafficking. All of these things that were part of those first four seals, right? These bring global suffering. And they pale, though, in comparison to the peril of being under the wrath of God. They're all tragic. All the suffering of those first four seals are tragic. But the sixth seal, you see those first seals, they, they last May last for a lifetime, but the wrath of God, the sixth seal, lasts forever. Starting with verse 12, the final judgment begins. The earthquakes. The sun turns black. The red, the, the, blood, the, the moon becomes like blood. The stars fall from the sky. The sky rolls up and is vanished. The mountains and islands are removed from their places. And it leads to one of the most heart-wrenching moments in scripture, I think. There's 15. Then the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, the rich, the powerful, everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling on the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who? Who? can stand. All those who don't know Jesus, in their desperation, we see them here calling out to the the mountains, the rocks, will you just hide us? It's like Adam and Eve hidden in the garden, hiding from God. We see on the last day, those who don't know him, hiding. What are they hiding from? They desperately want to hide from the face of him who is seated on the throne from the wrath of the lamb. How sad, how terrifying that the one who came to save is now the one to be feared. And so it is for all those who don't believe on the last day. There will be no respite from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. And none who are not in Christ will be able to stand on that day. This is difficult, isn't it? We don't like hearing this. I must ask, what is is your response? What is your response to the great judgment we see here in Revelation chapter 6? What is your response to the wrath of the lamb? Are you trying to hide behind rocks? Are you trying to hide from him? Trying to cover yourself in some other way, thinking somehow you can hide from him through your works, through being a good person, whatever it is. Are you hiding under the rocks? Or are you hiding under the altar. Everything. Everything depends on your answer to that question. There are no other options. You will either be hiding under rocks or you'll be safe, safe, safe under the altar of the Lamb. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't believe You're struggling even with what I'm saying this morning. This is rightfully scary. Because there is no rock that will protect you. As much as you might look to this or that, there is nothing that can protect you from the wrath of the Lamb. If that's you this morning, maybe even this morning, is the day to come before him Confessing your sins, confessing your inability to make yourself right before Him, and come to Jesus, the one who is able to save, the Lamb who is slain, who will gladly place you under the protection of His altar. For some, maybe today is the day to come to Jesus. Come to the one who can save. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, these words, as hard as they are today, they're meant for our encouragement. They're meant to encourage us You see, I think believers, we've always asked those questions that I've mentioned before. Why, Lord? I I thought coming to you was going to make everything better. I think we all ask those questions at times. And Jesus here is reminding us now, as he was then, that he's on the throne. That he is in control that he has a great and wonderful plan and he's working it out. He's working out his his purposes even when we can't understand it, even when we can't comprehend the wise. Take comfort, he says. Yes, you may need to suffer a little longer. You may need to suffer a little longer. But take comfort. The lamb, is on the throne. As Paul said, Second Corinthians 4, for this momentary affliction is preparing us, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do you know that to be true? All of these afflictions, all the sufferings, all the difficulties, all the sorrows, all the tears for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Father. We don't like to think of judgment. But Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you that you truly are at work in our world. We thank you and praise you that you truly do rule and reign this day. Would you help us? to learn even today, to trust you more. To trust that even when we can't understand, even when we can't comprehend, even when the suffering seems unbearable, that you, that you are at work, that you are ruling, that you do in fact reign and your sovereign plan will be brought to completion, and that if we are in Christ, if we are wed to you, we have nothing to fear because we find ourselves safely under the blood-stained altar of the Lamb who was slain. We thank you, Lord, We thank you that this is true. Would you help us to believe this day? We pray in the wonderful and matchless name of the Lamb who has slain, Jesus Christ. Amen.